The proliferation of podcasts in our digital online world is the modern-day version of a calling card. Every fifth person seems to have a podcast now, or at least attempted to start one. There are a lot out there, but only a few worth anyone's time. Maybe my podcast deserves to sit alongside the other flops, but I do this to please only me. Anyone else along for the ride enjoys at their own risk. I've always said that guests who come on here are handpicked by me and not on here due to any record label pressuring or overly enthusiastic publicist. So I only adhere to my taste and let it be my guide in doing this. Sometimes I like to scroll through the feed and take in the list of past guests, and I am honestly quite proud to have had the entire cast of characters on this podcast. So it makes sense that after five years and 141 episodes, some past guests have gone on to do their own podcasts. And since podcasts are often direct extensions of people's personalities, it makes sense that those podcasts have gone on to be my favorite ones, like Damien Abraham from Fucked Up and his superb Turned Out a Punk podcast, Hoya Rock from Madball and his hilarious Smoking Word podcast, Eddie Spaghetti has his great Spaghetti Family podcast, and now Doc Coyle steps up to the podcast plate with his excellent X-Man podcast. Doc Coyle is a man of many talents, obviously most known as the guitarist in the superb metal fury of God Forbid, but since then he's gone on to prove he can do more than just metal. His latest outfit, Vegas Nerve, and their debut EP, Visceral, is more proof to that point. His blogging on VH1 and his own .coil.net even netted him praise from the likes of Dave Mustaine. Weighty praise indeed. And most recently, Doc has written for Jamie Jasta's Jasta Band and wrote a song for the upcoming Body Count album. I mean, having Doc Coyle team up with the OG himself and Ernie C is a team up one must not sleep on. This is Doc's second time on here, but his first appearance back on episode number 53 in August of 2013 remains a very memorable one when he jumped onto our tour bus behind the stages of the Uproar Tour somewhere in New Jersey to talk shop, he had just quit, God forbid. He had just quit the band the night before. I'll never forget trying to carefully pry into what was going through his mind. We didn't have too much time to chat, but it was obvious Doc had reached a crossroads, and here he was, awaiting and very willing to receive great change in his life. For me, I was curious to see where it took him. Curious because I could fully empathize with his situation, seeing that we both were professional musicians. It's a path few take. And when you're out to sea long enough, the world becomes hyper-focused and it can become a, a, a very scary journey back to shore. Since that time, Doc's talents have led the way. He relocated from the East Coast out to the West Coast. He started a new band, the aforementioned Vegas Nerve. He played with other outfits as well, and he kept on his writing. To say he landed on his feet is an understatement. Those shoes were cushioned and wing-tipped. It's this journey back to shore and, and back out again that Doc has used to inspire his latest venture, podcasting. His podcast, The X-Man Podcast, explores this circumstance talking to musicians who left successful bands and their journey after. Something as a musician I've wondered about constantly. As you will hear on this episode, this is only the beginning for Doc's podcast, only a jumping off point. But I really think the idea of looking into people's lives when the spotlight fades is something that doesn't get talked about enough. When all the hoopla dies out and the last light shuts off, what do you do with yourself? For a lot of people out in the workforce, the easy answer is to get back on the horse. But what if the horse in question is music, a baying, bucking, untamed, feral creature that never sits still? How do you get back on that horse? And music is truly a risk. For the longer you remain in it, the thinner your CV becomes a trade-off that leaves people starting from scratch and often at a deficit and in the red. 
I can't recommend the X-Man podcast enough to anyone with a true interest in music and the music industry. This goes beyond the flat humdrum questions and delves deeper into behind the scenes. From episode one with John Berklin to the latest episode as I record this with Mike Gitter, you really get a true inside look. I found myself nodding in agreement many times while listening to recounts and tales. This podcast is supported by Blue Mic Microphones and Skull Candy Headphones. This podcast supports Chino's Loco, Chino Loco's Restaurants. And please leave a rating and or a review on the iTunes store because it really helps the podcast. It makes the podcast look beefy. Okay, here we go. Doc Coyle, the real Professor Xavier. Sturdy, precise, calm, collected, and assured. Just who you'd want on your team jumps on the podcast for a second time and is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast. And it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. They play the kid as Danko's crew will tell for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Tell me you're from fucked up. Stop playing. Hang down. There's only one podcast to listen to in this world. Listen to the Danko Jones Podcast! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones Podcast starts now! Hello? Doc! Boom. How you been, man? I've been great, man. And, uh, well, I just want to say that I've become a, a new big fan of your podcast. Really? Yeah, I really dug the idea at first. Just the, the idea of your X-Man podcast. And so uh, that's something that I think a lot of people who are in bands um, have in the back of their head. Uh, when they go, you know, head first into this music game, they've always got this, uh, these thoughts going, okay, I'm two years into this. I'm seven years into this life skills are fading. The exit strategy. <laughs> yeah. Resume, resume is, is thinning. This is all I got. And your podcast focuses in on the people who left their respective bands uh, maybe or maybe not music entirely. It's a great premise. And I just, you're like, what, six or seven episodes in. So it's it's interesting to watch where you go with this. Well, uh, one thing I want to uh, let you know. So it, I don't just, or the focus of the show is not just to talk to musicians. So my next guest, actually show I'm going to release today is Mike Gitter, the A&R guy oh, yeah. from... He's at Century Media now, but he was at Roadrunner and Atlantic. You know, he signed Bad Religion and Killswitch Engage. And, you know, uh, so and he's an X-Man because he's he's been around the business a little bit. Um, so I I think the, the the initial idea. Well, actually, I was going to start a podcast in like 2012. And I actually did one interview and then I just got too busy. And and really at the at that time, I was still pretty new as a fan of podcasts. All I knew was I wanted to do one. Right. But I didn't really have much of a focus. Right. And, like, and, and as they say, a lot of times in life, things kind of kind of happen for, for a reason. Like it, it kind of was a failure to launch situation, but I didn't really have a great focus. And during that time, I got more and more into podcasts and I listened to more and more of them and I started to think, all right, the podcasts I tend to like are the ones that do a certain thing that no one else does, right? And so I was like, I need an angle. And eventually that kind of came to me and that tracking, like like you said, those, that, those uncomfortable feelings when 
you do have a career and you see it's kind of things are starting to turn a little bit and you're trying to figure out what to do. That was a, a lot of what my early writing was about, was kind of speaking from that perspective of, you know, just being unsure and just being really honest about that. And so in a way, it was kind of like a streamline between the writing and the podcast, you know, and having it all kind of work in concert together. It's it's interesting that you would do this kind of podcast because when you first came on my podcast, I remember we were just going to do an episode, you know, you and I just talking and stuff because I was a big God Forbid fan. And then I think a night or two before we were supposed to meet up, you said, hey, by the way, I left God Forbid and let's talk about it on the on the podcast. And so in a way, you've been an X-Man since this whole thing started, you know, like. That's how that's since I've known you, I mean. Yeah. And that was I think you were the first person I even talked to after I quit the band. It was pretty that that whole I remember that day and it was pretty surreal. I actually know which band I, I really got into that that day that I still listen to is a band Middle Class Rut. They're Amazing. Sick. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, I I've been listening to that album ever since. Oh yeah. Well, they're they're amazing. I mean, I I, I love all their stuff. Those well, those that whole tour is actually pretty amazing, top to bottom. Yeah, the uproar festival for for those wondering. Yeah, uproar, right? Which which uh, we did the podcast in 2013. You came on our bus in between sets of our uproar festival shows, and uh, we hung out that day. And it was great to meet you and talk to you and stuff. And and since then, you know, we've kept in touch and I've, we've, I guess I've watched you online and stuff and what you've been doing. I've kept up with what you've been doing. And this podcast is something where I'm like, oh, man, I could totally, you know, sink my teeth into because I think about this. Everybody does. It's not something where I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to quit my band. It's just like, wow, what could I do if this just ended tomorrow? Because you're you. You kind of feast and famine, you live and die on your last record sometimes, you know? Well, I, so what's interesting to me is now that I had this premise, um, anytime I think about a guest or I think about someone who I think would be good for the show, it's, it, it really is about their story of, you know, you kind of connecting the dots from these career markers <clears throat> and that those in-between periods or or i say this i'll kind of focus on all right let's say it's someone from the, they were in a pretty pretty big band i'm super interested in like what was it like to be in that band at that moment you know selling these amount of records playing in for like i'm so interested in how someone you at one point you're just a normal person and the next thing like people want your autograph and you're in magazines and I know in a way I want to get into their shoes because even though I did achieve a certain amount of success, I didn't, you know, there was definitely a kind of, uh, there was a ceiling and I get to kind of step in their shoes and it's like, Oh, what was it like doing this and doing that? And then, then it ended and, and I'm so more interested in how did people feel? Like, how did you feel when this, this, this happened as opposed to, I noticed some, uh, podcasts, uh, are a bit more autobiographical and it's like, so what, when, where, why, you know, like, it's like very kind of these points, but I'm very much into interested in kind of the emotional core of what goes on, you know, and, and try and get people to, to reflect on that stuff, you know? And then it, within that, we, we, you know, we get, we try and get a little dirt. <laughs> I was going to bring that up, man. <laughs> About what, what went down, who said what, who slapped who, <laughs> it, it's a it's a premise that lends itself to real mudslinging at a moment's notice, and so far from what I've heard, uh, nothing's been said too much. the 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 podcast started off kind of with a bang, but it didn't devolve into like mudslinging. It was it was pretty well, I, pretty formal. Yeah, I mean, I'm. That's not where I'm coming from. I'm not there to like, all right, talk shit on such and such. You know, you'd find even though certain you know band members they don't have like a good relationship or that's the reason why it didn't work out everyone i've had on is not on there to be like fuck that guy they're all like hey you know i'm open-minded to doing something or 
it listen, it didn't work out, or that even they might have issues with that person, but they don't want to air their dirty laundry like that, you know. Um, and me, I I try and take the you know the objective kind of neutral referee where I'm I'm not judging anyone because I want to leave the door open to anyone because if someone comes on they tell their story and the other person says well no it didn't go down like that I want them to come on the show and let me know their side of the story you know <laughs> I and love it man I love it so you know well listen it's it's evolving I don't actually want the show to be too predictable so I'm actually going to be doing different kinds of shows uh, and experimenting because I do love so many different um, formats. You know, like I'm very interested in kind of like the NPR, almost audio journalism type stuff. I've even thought about almost doing, you know, pieces like maybe I'll do a historical piece on, you know, the history of new wave American heavy metal. And I'll talk to a bunch of people and kind of compile something or, I'll do, you know, like I had Phil from All That Remains, and we just did strict politics for an mm-hmm. hour. Yeah, right, and right. And, and I'm going to get him to do like an, an actual X-Men style show, but I think it's really important to mix it up so that your show doesn't also become too predictable where you know exactly what it's going to be, where it becomes a little too formulaic. So, you know, I'm and, – and I think at the end of the day, this is like everything else – it's a creative medium and there's such freedom in that it's my show. I can do whatever I want. I can talk about whatever I want. I can have on whoever I want. I can edit it however I want. I can have whatever music. And when you can do that, you're like, Oh, there's no rules, you know? And that's a pretty amazing thing. You know, same thing with the blogging. It's like, I don't, you know, I haven't really been writing for VH1. I just been kind of releasing my own stuff and I don't have to ask anyone if I feel like writing about something, I do it. So it's very direct. And I love that. Yeah, well, you've you've uh, been able to carve out this whole thing, this whole uh, post God forbid personality that I'm finding about out about through the blogs, through now through the podcast, and um, I remember we had an exchange just a few days ago on Twitter, man, where mm-hmm. you where you posted uh, this kind of guy who was a Trump. Um, a Trump follower, he punched a guy in the face, and then he got uh, reprimanded and fined and whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And I tweeted you saying, "Man, fuck that guy." <laughs> you know, like, and then you. <laughs> and well, though well, no, the 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 article talked about, he, he went to court yeah. and he got convicted of something. I don't know if he got pro- probation yeah. or whatever, but the guy was really legitimately sorry and basically explained how he got wrapped up. And that, you know, that fervor, you know, where in a way, you know, and this is something that happens. It's like the, um, you know, the group think mentality. Mm-hmm. And it's like you have someone like Trump, especially during that time, which was early on in the campaign, where he was acting very irresponsibly with the, those crowds, you know, and hyping people up and, you know, well, you know, what we we used to not treat those people so well and, uh, you know, pull them out in the stretcher and, you know, knock knock the hell out of them. You know, all the shit he was saying um, very irresponsibly and people kind of ate it up. And the truth is the core to his, I think, uh, st- his core constituency, their main theme is anger, is they're angry. So. The truth is what a lot of those people need is self-reflection, and I'm glad that – and keep in mind, so many people are unrepentant. And listen, Mitt Romney, who by listen by Trumpian standards is like the nicest guy of all time, but even <laughs> Mitt Romney put out a book called No Apologies. You know, it's, it's, a, it's this idea of not having any contrition for anything. So I don't know. I think we, we're, we're in a point now where – so many people like if like let's say you're very liberal and all you do is post about this is why Trump sucks. He said this stupid thing, you know, and that's all you post. Eventually, the people you're only going to speak to the people who already agree with you. Everyone else is just going to stop following you or just ignore that stuff. It doesn't help. You know, it's not you're not convincing anyone by being one sided. You have to be uh one thing this whole election taught me is that 
I, there's a, a you know a, a whole other world out there that I'm not personally paying attention to. So I started following like a lot more right wing people on Twitter, reading, checking out different news sources, or and it's just not because I think it's right, but because I need to be exposed to that stuff, even if I don't like it, because it's a more accurate depiction of the way everyone thinks. Instead of you know, I think it's important. Well, hey, like I said on the Twitter the tweet that I sent you, you're a better man than me. And, <laughs> and then you replied. Theory. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, of course. I mean, it starts with that. And then you, you seem to be applying it. And then, and then you, you replied to me with this just kind of Buddha like tweet going, I believe in forgiveness. You just drop that mic, and then DJ Will comes in, and he goes, "Look at him, man! He's getting the you know, you, you being all zen on us." And then I, you know, listening to the podcast, and I'm like an X Man, X Man. You're like Professor X Man. You are Professor X. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to take it there, I mean, I think where you are with this, the way you just described, is the perfect mediator. And the perfect person to do a podcast like the X-Man podcast when there might be some, you know, mudslinging on the side that is just results from the premise of your podcast. You're the perfect person to kind of mediate and just to see it through so it doesn't devolve. And uh, I just that was an interesting uh, uh, observation I had when I listened to your podcast. Then I got that tweet and I'm like, of course, yes, it's Doc. You know more about the newer metal bands than I do. I, uh... Man, I mean, I know a little bit about a little bit, man. I mean, that was the cool thing about the VH1 gig was it forced me to be really in, like, on the point and like looking at new bands and checking stuff out. It was, it was actually that was a really fun element of it. And it's been about a year since I've been writing about mu- music for them, and it's easy. It's it's crazy how quick you kind of fall out if you're not there's just so much music out there there'll be like a a given week there'll be five six seven eight really strong heavy records that'll come out that week it's like who who really has the time i have this theory it's like you'll send out like for example i have this band vegas nerve yes we gotta talk about that yeah you know, and I was like, you know, sending the record to people you know, like hey you know nothing not like asking for anything just like hey just in case you want to check it out, I just wanted to send you uh, the the EP of my new band. And you think if, if that's someone who's in the industry, if they're a manager or an agent or they're at a label, it's like how many people are doing that to them? How many people are saying, hey, here's my new band? Yeah. And they just have an inbox filled with stuff and they'd like to check it out. They just don't have time in the fucking day. You know, like if you manage a band and then some guy just sends you a record, but for your band, you have to like, oh, this band just submitted for your tour. This band, you know, is trying to get – it's like there's only so much time and space in people's lives to ingest new stuff. You know, I think that there's something different when you're 20 years old or something. You're 16 and you're just like sucking everything up like a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. And it's it's difficult to maintain that unless that's your main focus. Plus, I listen to too many goddamn podcasts. So That's, that's a big <laughs> – that's a big uh, deal breaker in in terms of getting caught up on new music. Like you, you listen to three podcasts and it's like fuck. I well, just ate like, up my whole day. You know, I could have been listening to music. Well, it's funny. I was, I was thinking about it. Like in a way, it's very left and right brained, right? I listen to podcasts because it stimulates my one part of my brain. I guess the intellectual mind the analytical mind it's like okay i'm kind of waking that stuff up and music is all emotion it's gut it's piss and vinegar it's a it's a different part of the brain and it's in a way it's like you're you can almost like hijack your mood with music 
You know, it's like, oh, I put on. So it's like in, in a, like this year, I haven't listened to very much extreme music at all. Like the Dillinger Escape Plan, like Meshuggah came out pretty close together. Yeah. And I just did. And they're they're great. I just wasn't in the mood to listen to something so just devastating. Yeah. You know, it's devastating music. It's like you put on that Meshuggah record and it's like getting kicked in the dick over and over and again <laughs> for an hour. And it's like I just wasn't, you know, like I wasn't ready to farm out my my um, uh, emotional state for that, you know? So it's like this weird thing where like, all right, I'm, there's certain times where I want to shut my brain off and just let the, the emotionality of what I'm listening to take over. And a lot of times I'm, I just, I want that intellectual part of the brain activated most of the time. And Meshuggah, I mean, Meshuggah demands your complete attention. I mean, you can't just listen to it and, you know, fucking, clean the washroom or something it's got to be all or nothing you can listen you can clean to mashuga trust me there's a lot of motherfuckers <laughs> taking adderall listen to mashuga and cleaning their house cleaning your house <laughs> doing all the chores all right but you know but i'm saying that shit is just it's i was i went to the the listening party out here in uh near it was in orange county at uh, uh jose mangan from sirius has oh his, yeah uh this affliction space and they have bands and they'll do listening parties and they play that record through like this really awesome sound system. And you're just getting punched in the chest by music. It is so heavy. I'm like, I think this might be too heavy. Like I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting soft in my old age. I'm like, right. why are they so angry? <laughs> could, could it be that like your number one musical um, outfit, your, your, your focus isn't, as heavy metal as God forbid being Vegas Nerve, which is we should talk about, which is your newest uh, musical project or the one that's kind of taking importance right now for you, right? It's so I've been involved in a lot of different band situations. Yeah, the last few years I've you know so I've been accused of being a band whore uh, from time to time, but <laughs> Vegas Nerve is the band that I started. Uh, Two or three years ago, before I moved to Los Angeles, actually even before I I quit, God forbid, I was already already uh, putting it together, and it's more on the rock side of things. Maybe right. to like a regular person, it's still metal ish, I guess to 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 an extent. But um, yeah, I was not really interested in doing a heavy band uh, in the vein of of God forbid. Even the last God forbid record was kind of hard to pull that side of my uh creative output like i feel like in in a, in a lot of ways this is something god forbid was really in tune with was where do you go like where's the new creative ground we've already done this we've done it. and god forbid we varied from record to record we really mm -hmm. tried to find new places to go within the genre and you kind of there's a you know, there's like a there's like a playground that you can stay in. That's like, all right, we can you can go play on the monkey bars, and that's cool. You can go on the slide, but don't leave the playground. You know, right? There's only and and when you've been doing that, you put out five six records. You're like, you and I've noticed this from bands that we came up with. You know, I think they realize, all right, we kind of have our formula. This is what people expect from us. And when you when they put out a record, you're more or less gonna get that. And there was no thing. From a heavy standpoint, that I was like, all right, this isn't, this doesn't exist. I feel like in many ways, like I look at a band like Gojira, and I'm like, they're at such a high level. I'm like, if I can't do super heavy stuff as good as that, then I don't see any point to do that. But this genre, in the more rock side of things, I think I could bring something to the table that other that isn't being spoken by other rock bands. You know, it felt like there's a like I said, I can leave the playground. You know, I can go, I can go over there. I can go, go to the bakery. I can go to the library. You know, you can, <laughs> you know. So it, so it's it's there's just a lot more freedom, you know, to express yourself. And there's and I, I think I kind of hit on something with the original sound of Vegas Nerve, and that's you know, and and I know what that is, and it's, and it's fun territory. I just like what the sonic representation what the band is well you've got the ep visceral that's out and you're going to be touring for it next year so there's been recent announcements of a t of tour dates right 
Yeah, real right now it's we're we're doing like five or six shows in California, um, and pretty much all Southern California. And this is really just to dip a toe. Uh, most of my band lives on the in the Northeast, uh, around New York and New Jersey. So everyone's like flying here, very DIY. We're getting in cars, sleeping on couches, um, just to play because we've only played one show. And oh wow, it doesn't, man. That EP does not sound like that well you well the thing is about the ep was so a lot of those though all those songs i pretty much written with the singer through like you know sending files or like because at first it was just me and him or like i'd go to his house and like we bust out the acoustics and kind of work on some stuff and we had these demos and i was like and and the thing is i think most what most people would do now is when they have the demos, they're like, all right, let's record this thing. And they'll go on the like program drums and they'll do the record on their laptop. And I was like, no, let's let's put a fucking band together. Let's make a real band. So we spent, even though the songs were more or less done, we spent about six months auditioning people and making finding real chemistry. And when we finally had a full band together, we started playing the songs as a band and it was like oh let's allow what the band sounds like to inform what the record is going to be instead of vice versa where now people record a record on a computer and then try and replicate that and i was like no let's go in the studio and replicate what we sound like in a room because we sound fucking awesome together like the chemistry in the in the band is unbelievable which is why i'm perfectly fine having guys from all over the country so we actually recorded it live um unfortunately we couldn't keep Everything we had kind of a, a studio nightmare, um, but but no, I mean the, that the whole band has probably played in the same room together less than ten times. Wow! And yeah, and it's but listen, the first the first day I had everyone in the same room, I was like, we could play a show tomorrow. Like that's how, just yeah, just how everyone sounds. You know, everyone's very professional. Um, at, you know. For the most part, all these guys do music more or less full time. All of them, you know, guys teach. Um, other guys, they're just, they're just, their whole lives are focused around around music, and they can, you know, they're just. Like I said, I'm the worst musician in the band. <laughs> wow, that so, says a lot about the band. That's pretty. Yeah, like every like every guy plays like every instrument you know you know guys are picking up the piano and playing mozart and this guy's making electronic <laughs> music over here and like you know my, my drummer teaches at like school of rock and he's the dude can sing amazing he can play you know he can play guitar he can write you know it's like these guys it's it's awesome man and it's cool when you're in a band like that and you can just like like we can literally just jam like we can just yeah. start playing yeah and like i'm like i recorded some rehearsals and it's just just us just playing like I said, you could record it and like probably like put it out. Like it's pretty sick. Like, wow. And so, so yeah. So we're doing like a, I'm going home for the holidays and we're gonna rehearse a couple times without our bass player, unfortunately, because he's in Oregon. Then we're playing. Yeah, c- coming up, we're gonna do a couple rehearsals, do our do our shows, and then book something on the East Coast in like March or April. But like I said, we're just playing just to play. Like yeah. that's kind of this whole band. It's not. like all right, we're trying to get signed. All right, we're trying to sell a million records. We don't really care about any of that stuff. We just want to do it. You know, it's just like, all right, let's do this thing and have fun and and do it because you know you just we're just putting ourselves out there and, and see what happens. You know? Well, I think that's the correct mind frame of of a of a band of a new band starting out, like not to care about getting signed, just wanting to play and just wanting to play music. I think you're starting on the right track or the you know, with, with the with Vegas Nerve. Well, I would say it's not like we didn't we did shop the the EP around and mm-hmm. there was some interest, but I think being kind of a long distance band and not already being out touring and doing stuff, yeah, labels are very hesitant yeah. to get involved because they don't think you're a real band. They think, oh, you just recorded a thing. That's not really a band, you know. And I'm like, no, it's a band. And they're like, well, what what, what are you gonna do? You're gonna tour? I'm like. It depends if, uh, you know, there's opportunities, if there's support. You know, now I think a lot of labels, they just want you to go and be, be homeless. Yeah. They're like, they're like, go out on your own. You don't need money. 
You sleep on a floor. Yeah. Have you been on floors? They're amazing. Great, great for your back. <laughs> and then they come visit you on tour, and they're like, okay, I'm going to stay at this uh, Hilton. Have fun on this guy's sofa. I'll see you at the show tomorrow. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's just, you know, my main thing is I've done this thing before. Yeah. You know, and most of the guys in my band uh, haven't done a lot of touring. My, my drummer actually plays for the hardcore band Shai Halud. Uh, so okay, he, he's, yeah. he's, he's been touring a lot, a lot with them, but that's his first real dose of touring, you know, and I'm trying to, I'm making sure they don't make the same mistakes I made earlier in my career, which is to make decisions out of desperation, you know, uh, and don't put yourself in a position where you leverage your well-being so you can chase the dream, you know, and the thing is, I think many people on the industry side don't realize more often than not they're killing the golden goose. So you put a band out there for a year when they're young and they and they're trying, they're going for it, and they don't make any money, it discourages them and makes them not want to do it. So instead of putting yourself in that position, I'm being more selective and saying, all right, let's be very smart. Let's not put ourselves out there. Let's not go out and buy a van and go play in front of eight people across the country. Let's do like very focused. All right, we'll do a week of shows here. We'll do a week of shows there and just kind of pick our spots and see how it goes. Kind of just dip your toe in the water because we have no idea. You know, and that's things you, if you go out and expect it to be X, Y, Z, and that does, and that, that doesn't manifest itself. You putting yourself in a position where, you know, there's a high probability it's going to fail. And you're just, when people, when you're out and you're playing in front of nobody and you're making no money, you start asking yourself those questions. Why the hell am I in this van? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so just trying to avoid all that stuff. And, you know, I'm I'm hoping it, it would be nice to work with a label because it would be nice to have partners. Right. Uh, people that are passionate. But the one thing I kind of learned about that whole experience of shopping the band is labels really don't lead with passion anymore. They kind of do the calculus in their head. They're like, all right, well, how many Facebook friends do they have? Well, they don't have enough Facebook friends. Uh, how many YouTube views? They, oh, no, not enough YouTube views. It's not going to work. Instead of saying, hey, I'm passionate about this. I believe in it. You know, I feel like that used to happen. Or maybe, hey, maybe this shit just wasn't good enough. You know, you know, there's also that, too. So you have to kind of be open to any, uh, you know, just, just how it's perceived. You know, and that's just it is what it is. But I. I personally think it's very good, and, and the response we've gotten has been great. Well, listening to, listening to you talk about your band, Vegas Nerve, knowing your experience you've had uh, on stage, um, have you thought about, you know, and this is going back to your X-Man podcast, have you thought about going into music management and taking all this experience with you, with a band that you are not in, that a band, you know, like finding a band and farming them and, and uh, watching them rise? Well, I have experience managing. I actually got hired by uh, this lady, Christy Prisky, who was managing, God forbid, in Fear Factory back going back to like 2006, 2007. Right. And um, so she she saw at because at the time I, uh, in between managers, I was kind of the de facto manager of the band, just kind of dealing with the agents, dealing with the label, figuring out. Uh, tour logistics and and things like that, and she saw how I I worked with the band and and hired me uh, to help her out with their company. So I worked with her for maybe like a year and a half, and so I kind of got some experience there. This is post uh, God forbid, post God. No, this is during. This oh. is like kind of kind of right. I'd say like right around the peak of of the band, you know. Um, <clears throat> so. Yeah, so you're talking almost almost ten years ago, right. and and then I stopped working with her, and was still kind of the main guy with with the band. And even when I when I moved to LA, going back like two or three years ago, I actually started managing a couple bands from New York. Um, but one thing I, I realized is that as long as I'm an artist, um, and it was an artist who really takes that end of things seriously, it's it's like a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. Like I'm too much. I think too much like an artist to, cause I'm all, when you're an artist, you're almost, you're going to prioritize your career first over them. And you can't do that. 
you know, as a manager, you have to, you can't be like, if there's a tour out there, you can't be like, all right, I'm going to get my band on the tour. You need to think about getting the bands you manage on that tour. Yeah. You know? Um, and I, I realized I was too, I can't wear both hats. Like I need, if I'm going to manage bands, I have to not be doing music, uh, from the artistic side, you know, cause there's some guys like Blasco, uh, who has a mercenary manager, it's mercenary, right? Like they, he does like Black Veil Brides and Zach Wilde, yeah, but he doesn't, right. but he's not the creative guy with the bands he plays in. He just plays. He's like, like he to, bass player in Rob Zombie's band, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, actually, is it, is it Rob Zombie now or is it Ozzy? I think it's Ozzy. Now. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. Yeah. Ozzy. And then now lately he's been doing uh, Zach Sabbath. Right. Right. With, yeah, but, um, Joey Castillo. But, I'm saying, but he's not like. He doesn't get off the road. He's like, all right, I got to write a new album. Right, right. All right, I got to. He's just, he's kind of like he's hired to play and he plays. So he doesn't have that on his plate. So he he could probably separate that a little better, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, I'm totally assuming, by the way. I could be wrong. But it's something I was like, well, how come he can do it? But it's difficult for me. And I think that might have something to do with it where I'm, the you know, creatively involved. And, and also with my bands, I'm like running the show, you know. So with like Vegas Nerve. I'm at the forefront of trying to make things happen. Whereas like I have some other bands, like I was playing with this band May Tall and I just joined this band. I have tongues where I don't run the band. I just play the band and that you can, it's much easier to separate. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. You're kind of the de facto manager of Vegas nerve. So exactly. Right. No, I get it. I, I totally understand that, but just hearing you, you know, speak about Vegas nerve and how it's going is, you know, it it made me ask you that question. Well, but, it's listen, I I it's you look at the experience you have, you know, when you have when you have those times when you're in between careers and you're like, all right, I just left this band. What what can I do? I've spent 10, 15 years doing this, so that's where my experience is. So if I'm going to get involved professionally, that is something I could go. But you know, I'd say this being out in LA, you know, it's it's no joke. You know, the management game. If you don't have, if you don't manage someone who's already kind of big and bringing in money and has a um, has a foothold, it's 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 hard out here. It's hard out here for a pimp. You know how to say that? <laughs> it's you know because I was I was working with a couple of new bands and they were very good, but it's like if you don't have a label, then a booking agent doesn't want to deal with you. Yeah. You know? If yeah. you don't have if you don't have a booking agent, then you know, or if you don't have a label, then the the radio doesn't want to play you. Like yeah. it's all these different things where you kind of need to get co-signed. Um, yeah. And it's it's getting a band from like ground zero where they're not making any money to the point where they are generating income is a tough road because you're essentially working for free, unless you have some. You know, some some managers will do a deal with the band where they just, the band will pay them X amount per month. Or some, something I, I I did, but um yeah it's hard man you know if you don't you know and, and that's the thing with other managers too is you know they have like their main acts that bring in income and it's like it's it's tough man it's a lot it's a lot of work man it's it's, it's no joke and I was me kind of getting into it I was, I wouldn't say I took it lightly but you know I definitely probably didn't you know because you think oh I got I got these contacts I know these guys but mm-hmm. you know. When you're starting with something brand new, you're the one asking for favors. And that's not really a position that's a great place to be. <laughs> yeah. You know? And that's, uh, I mean, to bring it back again to your podcast, you, you know, when you talk to these guests that you have, it does really shed light on the fact that how hard it is to be in the music game and stay there for the layperson who just has a passing interest in it. Your podcast really sheds light on um, a certain sec, a certain part of the music industry that doesn't really get talked about a lot. So I, I've, uh, you know, listening to the podcast, I was like, yeah, see, people got to hear this because it is fucking hard. <laughs> this is just any, just being in like a mid-level band, you know, like being in a band where, you can sell 20,000, 30,000 records, go out, do a show and have 200 people show up. Like that's fucking really hard. Really hard. Unless yeah. unless you're and I say it's different like let's let's say you're some kind of scenester like warp tour type band. 
you know, or like a Christian band, like you kind of get plugged into a scene mm-hmm. that already exists. So like in a way, your success, you're just kind of pivoting off something that already uh, infrastructure is already there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's not as hard, but in general, it's really hard to take something from ground zero where no one gives a shit about you to the point where people give a shit about you. It's very difficult. And, it, and almost any time that it happens, it's fucking impressive. Um, and it's even more impressive when somebody does something and then they leave or they get kicked out. And guess what? They do it again. <laughs> well, that, you know? yeah, that's what you guys were talking about on the first episode about Dez in Devil Driver, how he was able to do it with Cold Chamber and then again in Devil Driver. And I thought yeah. about that. We're listening to it. And I'm like, you know what? It is fucking hard. Imagine going back to square one and having to, you know, eat mud and start all over again. And he did it. You know, it's imagine I could I couldn't imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it's I, it's I wonder what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> but it, and another thing is about your podcast and the the the, la- the light it sheds is is like. You know, you must have gotten that. I've gotten it. Every guy in a band who's gotten written up in a magazine or their video's been kind of casually cursory played on on some video station and their friends see it or their family sees it. And they're like, the first response is, wow, you made it. You must be living in a mansion and you must have two cars now. And and when you tell them, like, it's that's not really how it goes. They What is it? You're saying you don't live in a mansion? (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I don't have a moat around my castle is what I'm saying. I, I got the castle. I don't have the moat <laughs> or the drawbridge. Well, that's, what, well, that's what I heard Trump was doing. It's like a wall on the south border and then a moat on the northern border. So. <laughs> right. It's funny when people come up to you and they go, wow, like, you, you know, you, you, you must you must be like, you know, making so much. You're a millionaire now. And I like your podcast shedding light in a very real and very gritty uh, kind of procedural way as to, you know, this actually, no, this is a very hard thing to even try. It's not all fun and games, and it's done without, um, uh, 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 it's done on a tightrope, you know, and if you fall off, man, it's a fucking fall, depending on how high up you climbed. And uh, I loved, you know, I've, I've listened to a few of the episodes, but I, I really, really do love that first episode you did with uh, John, John Berkland. Berkland. Yeah. Um, there's no R in his name, which kind of throws I me off. I don't, I don't know why they say that. I just re- repeat what they tell me. <laughs> but right? I, I, don't, I, I found, don't know. I found it to be an, a, a great discussion. Obviously, you guys are friends beforehand, so there was, there was a, a definite rapport. But his... His experience, relaying his experience, was was so interesting to me, and just how he was able to like uh, figure it out after you know post Devil Driver is so interesting. And like you said, the podcast isn't gonna you know just kind of always be about people leaving bands and finding their way. Like the Lamont episode is f- awesome too because I'm a big you know I love that uh, uh, Brain Tentacles album this year that he put out. Um, so, you know, the, hearing uh, his whole th- and plus the cover band uh, scene is is it's, fascinating it's, it's to me. Super fascinating, and his and that's the thing about Bruce, and that's why I said I, like some people are like, oh, I can't be on your show because I'm not an ex. I'm like, dude, that's it's not really, it's. <laughs> It's my show. I can have whoever the fuck I, I want on the show. Yeah. Uh, and but his story, because he's been doing it for so long, and it's still the biggest thing in his life. I'm like, how do you do that? How does someone yeah. like that's just the craziest thing? This guy, this art rock guy, this avant garde jazz musician, noise in this all these weird bands, and then he's in one of the biggest tribute bands in America. And you're like, what? 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 How do you what? <laughs> it's it's amazing you know so um and that's the thing about you know probably my world probably a lot of people don't know a guy like bruce you know maybe in that more kind of, like i said he's kind of more known in that um you know neurosis relapse kind of scene mm-hmm. uh so it's amazing to have an op- opportunity to to kind of take someone like bruce and and expose him to more people you know who don't you know and that's the thing i just 
the, what's fascinating to me is this story. You know, how how did you get it? How, how are you still able to keep doing this? What have you been up to? You know, and even, you know, I'm going to talk to some people who aren't in the music world anymore, who've moved on and done other things. And I think those are going to be some of the most interesting stories, because that one thing I've noticed is people that come from the independent music world, when they leave, they tend to be really successful because it's so hard to do this. Yeah. You just apply those skills and that work ethic in other fields and people make things happen. You That's know? a good point. Yeah. That was interesting. Even like hearing him talk about working in the bar and work and, and dealing with his manager, taking time off. And I'm like, yeah, man, this is the shit that nobody talks about. Nobody, you never hear about this stuff because a, Apparently, someone has deemed it boring. But for me, it's uh, so fascinating and validating in a way. You know, it's like, yeah, man, I fucking totally know what this guy feels like. Whether I was in a name band or not, just the struggle itself is something that I think a lot of people can identify with. You know, serving a master that's that's so off the beaten path, you know. Uh, well, listen, we're going to get Danko on there. We're going to find out what you were doing, what bar you was tending at. <laughs> That's the one thing I feel sometimes. I'm like, you know what? I can't tend bar. I got to go to one of those like courses or something just so I can order a drink, man. Well, being a drinker, I, I this is someone who does bartend. Um, you know, being a, if you drink, that definitely helps you. But I got hired at you ever been to Duff's in, in Brooklyn? No, but I've you heard of Duff's? it. I've heard of it. Right. Yeah. So the owner of there, Jimmy Duff, he hired me just like outright, like with no, pretty much with no experience. And just, they trained me one day and I got thrown, thrown into the fire. Here you go, boy. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) if one wants to do it, listen, being a bartender is about as a rock and roll job as one can have off the road. And, uh, and if you know, you get in the right spot, you can do all right. Make a little money, you know? Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. That's the thing. And that's the one thing I kind of want to dispel too is, a lot of times, like I remember this this story went around uh, with a Mercedes from Kitty, you know, that showed she was like selling real estate and people and this got spread around on metal blogs and people were kind of taking the piss on her. And I thought that was really fucked up because we're all out here just trying to make, you know, get by and it shouldn't there should be no point of shame that someone who's a musician has to work uh, outside of their music. Absolutely not. Because I remember having that happen. Like me, I was working at the bar. This is like around 2010, right when things were kind of winding down with the band, which is why I took the job. Um, And people were like, well, I can't believe you're working here. And I'm like, like, yeah, motherfucker. Bills got to be paid. Like, you know, people need to get over that shit. You know, it's like, are you you going to pay me to live? Well, then shut the fuck up then. Yeah, it's a weird thing that people have with guys and bands that are in name bands, known bands. It's, it's that's why I lo- I, lo- I just loved hearing those those stories and just what they had to do and and it's the real shit, man. Yeah, that's the thing. That's in the day. It's, it's the real stuff, and that was and like my writing. My the thing that people connected to my writing was was I put myself out there to talk about the things about my insecurities about uh my failures you know and when you put yourself out there then the one thing people can't do is say you're a hypocrite or that when i criticize it like you know if i'm being critical of something i've criticized myself first mm-hmm. right so i put my i've kind of you know and you put yourself out there and then you and then you bring people in you know so i'm kind of connecting the guests to in a sense all right, here's what I went through, but what did you go through? What was that like? Because guess what? There's going to be a lot of parallels, but there's also going to be so many differences in how people handle things because I'm just impressed, you know, with how people get through, you know? Like like I think about someone that was in some big band, like uh, like a guy I want to get on is uh, Sean Martin who was in Hatebreed. Um, oh, yeah. Peak of the band. I, I just hit him up. He was out in L.A. for a minute. I just missed him. But I'm like, how – how does someone leave a band like that? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just like they make good money, they kill it everywhere they go. And he was, you know, uh, during the peak of the band, he was. It was just he was the only guitar player, 
and this dude's tone was ridiculous. It was the heaviest shit I've ever heard. And I'm like, how does someone leave that? And, and that's that's what I'm interested in. And he's the scariest looking guy you'd want to meet in an alley. He but he's the but and he's the nicest guy nicest you've ever guy. met. Like, yeah, very nice guy. He's amazing. He's very amazing. nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, hate Brady. You you got to be a little scary, you know. Oh yeah. You know, even you know, except Wayne. You know, what I'm saying Wayne is jacked. You know, but he's the you know he's too nice. You know, right. and then he well he probably beat my ass though. I mean, anyone hate Breed could beat my ass. Anyone in hate Breed could definitely take me with one you know, hand. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And like you have you know, so we'll we'll see. You know, but but no, but I'm just really interested in how someone would want to leave. Like what happens in their head because me when I was in God forbid you know n- you know 99% of the time I was like you know when you're doing it and you can actually make a living from doing it you're, and you love the road and you, know, and you just love all the stuff you're like how can anyone leave this yeah, this is the yeah. best yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 so interesting I love it I love I I look forward to more of those episodes I look forward to the Gitter one I've known Mike Gitter as a writer. I used to read his articles. So wow. when I found out he was working for labels, I was like, Mike Gitter? And I think there was some sort <laughs> of uh, uh, email or something where his name was on you know, a list of labels that we had kind of shopped it to. And then it said beside his name, like, likes the album, but blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Mike Gitter likes our record? <laughs> I thought it was cool. Now, I, now I follow, we follow each other on Instagram. Yeah, he's he's true blue, man. He's a uh, he's he's one of those those lifers, and uh, you know I'm. To me, the show, the primary reason for his existence is to be a resource for aspirational artists. Well, you I was know, gonna say, of, yeah, you're, it's like a not a self help, but like an almost like a help guide kind of podcast. Well, it's taking. Listen, it's taking you. Behind the curtain, see how the donuts are made a little bit, and it's mm. it's not. And I listen, I, and I think you'll see this a lot of times with comedy podcasts where it gets so much into process, you know, that it can be a little like, all right, we 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 got it. like you know, in some respect, you almost don't want to see too much how it's made. But this isn't, but like I said, but this isn't like one of those shows where it's like, all right, what what were the lyrics about on the record? What yeah. was it like working with it? Where did you you know it's. I'm not. I don't care about none of that shit. You know why? There's 50 other shows and publications uh, that are going to ask those those questions. But so having someone like Mike, most new uh, you know up and coming musicians don't have access to an A and R person who signed big bands. They don't know what people are looking for. So that provides them with some uh, insight that they otherwise wouldn't have. But I'm going to talk to. I have some producers I want to talk to. I have. You know, uh, publicists, lawyers, um, managers, just uh, booking agents. I want to bring all those different sides of the industry and talk about, hey, you know, what's your perspective on this? Because most people, you know, those most of those people are not out in the public and people don't don't really know their their story either. So. So, yeah, so I'm interested in talking to a lot of different people and yeah just giving people like me because like i said once i left god forbid i'm out in the wilderness just like y'all yeah <laughs> you know yeah. I, you know i'm not starting from scratch in that yeah like i do get people to ask me to play with their bands that are you know that are professional scenarios you know i'm so i'm not starting from from scratch but you know i'm still you know i started a new band and i'm just like you i'm paying for my record and i'm you know paying for studio time paying you put gas in the van, you know, all, all that same stuff. I'm, you know, loading my gear, playing the, the hole-in-the-wall venue, just like you. So I'm, as much as I've done, I've made a choice to say, hey, I'm still in it. And I'm, and you know, still nitty-gritty. And it's fun. There's something about kind of doing it because you want to do it. You know, like, that's the thing, with, with God forbid, I remember there was a tour or two, and we, we did it just for money, you know. And there's something deflating about that. You know, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's illuminating. I'll say that. I'm so
to you too.